After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Now, he didn't get exactly everything he lost. He didn't get his original kids back, but I think the key is this, is um, he winds up interceding for the same people that kind of wronged him his best friends. This is key because when we look at Job, his life, it, it doesn't fully make sense until we actually come to Christ, yeah. until we actually see the person of Christ Absolutely. being an intercessor for us. Welcome to Solomon's Knot, finding truth and wisdom in an information age. Today, we're joined by Jacob Dozier, a student of divinity and former guest in the podcast. In this episode, we'll unpack the problem of evil, exploring the moral landscape and the culture, including how to navigate issues of spirituality, identity, and suffering in a postmodern, technologically saturated society. So without further delay, let's get to our guest. All right. So we got a pretty amazing show for today. I got special guest, Jacob, who had previously had on the show while back when we did the episode on what is the gospel. So if you get a chance, please check out the show notes for that. Jacob, just catch us up with how things are going. What have you been up to? Are you uh, currently in ministry? You know, just any resources, things that you can do to catch us up. That'd be wonderful. How's everything going, brother? Well, first of all, I appreciate you bringing me back on. I know that you and I have been going back and forth trying to get this organized. And a lot of it has been because of the things that have been going on in my life more than anything. And I just appreciate that we're finally able to meet and I can get opportunity to get back on. Things have been very good, but extremely taxing. You know, I'm trying not to grow wary of doing good and mm -hmm. knowing at the proper time, the rewards of things I've been sowing. And I have been working in a ministry capacity. I am currently in a position at a Christian camp in Texas called Carolina Creek. I am working with a team of people on a Christmas event. This will be the first year they've done it. And it is, I mean, it's a really big event. We're definitely putting a lot of investment in it. It's been a lot of long nights. So God has been good. The other day I was studying and, you know, compassion literally means choosing to suffer with someone. Mm -hmm. That has been kind of what I've been up to most recently. A lot of life has happened over the last year since the last podcast a lot of twists and turns and but yeah god has been good through it all yeah we'll definitely like to hear more about just the journey maybe the vision where you would like to be and we'll, we'll kind of cover that later in the episode toward the end as well as uh, recommending resources that you might have for people so just kind of diving into this topic we had discussed a couple months back you know we we're planning an episode and you know just kind of life happened but we had talked about unpacking the book of job what evil is how do we define it and so i think i went more of the philosophical route and maybe mm -hmm. some of the theological understanding of what evil is how is that different from just sin or brokenness, natural disasters? You know, there's there's lots of different categories of what we describe as evil. Right. And obviously the Bible has its own definitions of what evil is. Uh, the Bible also talks about Satan or Lucifer, who goes by many names and what he represents. Where did evil emerge? So there's lots of questions. There. And there's also like very practical questions like, hey, how do I navigate some of the issues that we're experiencing today? And, and some would argue that there are things that are happening in the world now that are very evil evil and things that are difficult to navigate through in this kind of big question here of, of what the problem of evil is. Where do you want to approach that from? Scripture, anything that comes to mind? Right? I mean, this is a very big topic, not just in the sense of the importance of it, but also in the how grand it is, how like huge it is. It can really be impacted in a lot of ways. Kind of mentioning earlier with philosophical and theological and even just personal. I mean, evil is a very 
real reality. And I think no matter Christian, non-Christian, everybody can recognize that there is evil. For me, really hard to fully relate with Job because when we say we've lost everything, we have to think about, have we really lost everything? Because Job actually lost everything. Mm. Um, I mean, Job was left with nothing. And if um, people listening aren't familiar with the story, I mean, Job was a man that was God's own words. He was a righteous man, Mm -hmm. blameless. I mean, these are the words that God used. And he had a wife and family. He had amazing lands and farms and animals and the full nine. He He was the richest of the rich in that time period. And he lived his life for God. There was nothing that he necessarily did that constituted what ended up happening. And so you brought up the devil, Satan, Mm -hmm. Lucifer, there are many names. Um, Satan's actually a title. A lot of people think of it as a name, but Satan actually just means the one that opposes. It shows in the story of Job that Satan approaches the assembly of God and says, the only reason that Job is the way he is, is because you keep rewarding him. And that honestly, Job is just somebody that's kind of playing the system. He does good, therefore he gets something good. And so he basically says to God, if you take everything away, surely Job will reject you. And the weirdest thing, because this story is very strange. I I know you're familiar with it, Jason. Maybe Um, a little bit. Just, yeah. (laughs) But like, to be honest, out of every single book in the Bible, I find this one to be one of the most mysterious and strangest stories that there is. Because God takes up what Satan's idea and he said, all right, let's put it to the test. God didn't have to do that, but he did. And so God therefore allows evil to happen to Job in a way that Job didn't deserve. I mean, and so... Job lost everything. Um, Everything that I described earlier that was good, that made him rich in the time, it was just gone. I honestly can relate to this a lot. Job's initial response was worship. He still chose God. You can see this in the first two chapters. And then immediately chapter three hits, and then that was when it just shifted. Hmm. Uh, It was like an emotional roller coaster. One of the famous lines in scripture is like, you were born from dust and you're going to return the dust or something like that. I mean, it comes from the book of Job. And the idea is like Job is lamenting and he starts having self-pity and he gets really sad, but he also starts to blame God. And then you find through the rest of the story, it's just this back and forth between Job and the people around him, his friends and God to the point where this is actually very interesting. I'm sure there are other places, but I can't recall, but between chapter 38 and chapter 41 is God simply speaking direct conversation to Job to a point where he doesn't answer why the bad thing happened. He simply tells him who he is and he gives him a glimpse of behind the scenes how everything is. What's crazy is that what Job gets away from this is not an answer of why, but it is a description of who. Mm. It's a description of who God is. And it's a description of the things that God takes care of that we don't really recognize, nor do we really praise him for it. And Job falls in humility and repentance. And it's just like apologizing for the idea of thinking less of God and looking at God as less and the idea that God isn't in control. It's just, it's a powerful story. It, it tackles the issue of evil, which is very real for anybody. And I have just had a bit of a heart to like really just digest it and to, to discuss it. Mm. Cause I think that it is an important topic, especially for today. Yeah. So Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Yeah. Job 121. 
yeah, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, there's too much content and context in the book of Job for just this podcast episode alone. I think a key verse that stuck out, and there's a Bible Project guys did an episode on this I thought was fantastic. They really hit on how Job is an intercessor. And if you look in chapter 42, it's right before the end in the epilogue. And I'll read a little bit here before for context, starting in verse seven. After the Lord had said these things, to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Job gets some redemption by God. And then kind of skipping ahead a little bit here, this is really key. Verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Now he didn't get exactly everything he lost. He didn't get his original kids back, but I think the key is this, is um, he winds up interceding for the same people that kind of wronged him, Mm -hmm. his best friends. This is key because when we look at Job, his life, it doesn't fully make sense until we actually come to Christ, until we actually see the person of Christ being an intercessor for us. And the other thing about Job is that outside of God, the council of angelic beings and Satan, we get to peer into what's happened to Job. So the only person doesn't know what's going on is Job and his friends, like pretty much everyone that's on the earth. And so it's kind of interesting how when we look at the problem of evil and all these things that are happening in our culture and politics and you know the media, mm-hmm. people, their natural tendency is to search out for justice and to right wrongs, whether they're knowingly or unknowingly borrowing from biblical principles or ideas, like when we're appealing to a standard, this is wrong because that's a violation of natural law. Like you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't covet your neighbor's goods. Like where does that come from. I think when we're talking about the problem of evil, we have to talk about the emergence of sin, Mm -hmm. the fall. Was evil pre-existent to the fall? Because why was the option to, to sin even there to begin with? Right. And so it opens up more conversation points than we initially see. And here's kind of the route I wanted to go. From a philosophical basis, when we look at the problem of evil, there's a few different argumentations. Mm -hmm. And by the way, did you want to respond to any of that before we dive into there? Is there anything before we wrap up, Job? Yeah, I think some of the things I want to talk about, we're about to enter into anyway. But I agree with what you're saying, especially the idea, God loves justice. I mean, God is justice. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of times where we assume that God... God doesn't care about justice, but that is not the case. Um, God is just and for good reason. Yeah, as we continue to talk, we'll kind of dive deeper into what that means. Okay, maybe as a leading question, because, you know, we have to define our terms. I think this is important. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the Bible define as evil? And maybe from a practical standpoint, what is evil? How How is it defined? Or how do we approach that problem? Where would you start someone in a ministry context or even just in a cultural context? What do you think? Man, again, these are really difficult to talk about in depth, but to the best example I can give, I mean, you have to bring in sin into it because sin is falling short to the glory of God. It is missing the mark, rebellion to God, going against about, God. And I've, we've unpacked that a lot for someone that's just jumping on the platform for the first time and doesn't have maybe a whole background in, could we just maybe summarize like, is sin essentially a distortion of what is true? You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's take it from a basic understanding. I will point to some things, but I'll also talk about it. When you see a five-year-old on the playground push another five-year-old on the playground, people see that and they're like, that wasn't a good thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, naturally, doesn't matter your background. Like you just, there's something that 
innately you just see and it's like that's not good and so in a weird way we all have a somewhat understanding of good and evil but the source i think is where things start to it goes a little deeper than just like general revelation mm -hmm. and so like a general understanding right and so away from sin and evil let's talk about god just the concept of god not even just from a place of, of christianity though i believe in jesus right the idea of god is that god is a good being and so if that is the standard set by god mm -hmm. he is good then therefore what evil is is anything against the standard of god as simply put. Okay. And so the question then comes from a place of like, which God is good? And then we can go down rabbit trails for this, right? It's like my God, like if you follow Islam, Allah is good according to this standard, according to the Quran. Right. And then it's just like, what standard of goodness are you looking at? My definition of evil is anything that opposes God. And for me, I believe the true God is the God of the mm -hmm. Bible. So evil to me is therefore anything that opposes him. Okay. This is where we're going to kind of turn it around. You know, so let's say I'm going to push back from the vantage point of someone that says, well, you're defining God as good from our worldview, from the biblical Christian worldview, Judeo-Christian worldview, from a philosophical contest. This is the Epicurean paradox. Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. If he is able, but not willing, then he is malevolent. If he is both able and willing, then where does evil come from? Is he neither able nor willing, then why call him God? So this is basically where I'm going is the world seems to say that if God truly is God, then why does evil exist to begin with? Why can't he just stop it? And now I'm going to turn it over to you and say, how does God then allow these things to happen? Or does God simply just remain pure and holy? And then it's up to us to properly engage in the world with all of its sin and brokenness. How do you respond to that? So we are not going to be able to solve this age-old question on this podcast. <laughs> no, you have <laughs> this to. Is... This is this the problem is we can't push this to another generation. We yeah. have to answer this for this generation. Right. I actually want to put this plug in there too. The reason why we need to talk about this is because you're seeing the visible kingdom of darkness, these like distortions of reality that I don't think have ever been present. Yeah. In the you past. can't fully understand the love of God if you don't have a full understanding of how much damage destruction is sin. Good point. And so when I say we're not going to solve this issue, I mean in the sense of like, it may never ever be solved, but there's also an aspect of the mystery of God. I think ultimately, when we look at the Old Testament as a whole, from the story of Job, there are things that foreshadow Jesus. And I think that is the most important part of this, is that even if we talk about the intensity, the sadness, the, the emotional damage, the damage of the world that evil causes, which is very real and everybody has struggled with evil but that being said why did jesus do what he did right mm -hmm. this all ties back to the sacrifice death and resurrection of jesus christ even going off to the book of revelation one of the key things i just remembered there is a hope in christ there is a hope in the future and in revelation 21 i'm just going to read this real quick this is the idea of the new heaven and the new earth this is the future paradise that children of god will be a part of mm -hmm. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Mm -hmm. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4. And so ultimately, as we talk about this, there are mysteries. Mm -hmm. There are things that we do not know for reasons that we cannot understand. And there is a reason why we don't get the entire blueprint. There's a faith aspect into why we follow Jesus. All right. Yeah. All right. Obviously, you know, Jacob was a divinity student. We impact the gospel extensively in the past podcast interview. So take a look at that. You know, I prepared to actually look at the opposition arguments, whether we're talking about the axiological, the ontological, uh, using inductive and reductive reasoning. couple examples. If God exists, then God is omnipotent, omniscient, and morally perfect. Mm -hmm. But we also know evil exists. So if evil exists and God exists, then either God doesn't have the power to eliminate all evil or doesn't know when evil exists or doesn't have the desire to eliminate all evil, right? These are the arguments against God being all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful because we have to deal with this problem of evil. Mm -hmm. But God does address this problem and he defeats evil because of his son Christ, because yeah. of who Christ is. If Christ is God and Christ is equal to God, then the way that God deals with evil is by inserting himself into our humanity and because of his death resurrection and reconciliation he gives us his holy spirit so we now have sonship with god this isn't theological this is reality mm -hmm. because in order for us to get back to the harmonious state with god mm -hmm. it has to be done at a spirit level so i think what people are doing is they're looking in the natural realm for solutions that are supernatural mm -hmm. i think basically what i hit on is we're all touched and affected by this so what can we do now to prevent if the German citizens knew how many innocent Jews were being murdered, which I think a lot of mm -hmm. them did, what could they have done during their time to address it? Yeah, my understanding, thinking about this, was relating how that is with Job and then pointing that back to Jesus. Mm -hmm. There's a real reality. And you kind of brought it up. Jesus talked about that people will view good as evil and people will view evil as good. Like, let's talk about, like, we have real evil stuff going on today. Like, you know, a perfect example, you and I, we would hear the idea of abortion being overturned by Roe versus Wade from the Supreme Court as a great thing, right? A good thing. A lot of people think it's evil. Mm. Like that is a topic we can talk about. A lot of people think it's evil to contain the idea of gender and sex to male and female. This should be more. Oh, these are light subjects. We've covered these. And like, like, guys, if we haven't done enough on these subjects, we will do a special. Yeah. If we're going to go really deep into this, we can start getting. Well, like, um, here's some heady stuff. I mean, look, it, yeah, go ahead. Like, from a theological perspective, this is Van Til. So when we're talking about evil, we have to talk about God. We have to talk about morality. He sums up like this. If there's no God, there's no such thing as evil. And then Brock's follows up with this. The unbeliever can't describe the world we live in without borrowing the biblical concepts of good and evil. And I'm going to upset some people in this, but I mean, here's where it ultimately comes down is like what we actually experience on a daily basis. We recognize something is fundamentally off 
broken. Humans all over the world, no matter what religious or ideological or philosophical beliefs they approach this problem with, they recognize that there is something that's wrong. And so the Bible explains who God is, what his plan for humanity was from the beginning, how that got distorted, Mm -hmm. the solution for restoring that, and ultimately what it all represents, right? The origin, meaning, morality, destiny of every human being, including like creation itself, like where the earth, the cosmos, everything is leading towards. So here's what's interesting. Evil is a part of the equation. It's a component of reality, but evil was created because of God's desire to want to have relationship with his children. And the reason why that makes sense is because without knowing and experiencing evil, how do we even have a context for what's good? Exactly. They also make sense from a spiritual perspective and a biblical perspective is because if we were in a state of harmony with God, then the only way we would know if we weren't is if evil exists. So we can't plead ignorance here. And that's why I think so many other religions and worldviews, they try to really scratch to get there. So from an Eastern perspective, we're talking about Buddhism, they're going to stay on the problem of suffering. The monotheistic religions understand that God is pre-existent and always was. Therefore, evil emerged to somehow draw us attention to God. Where it came from, it's up for debate. But a lot of the other worldviews basically tries to say, well, we have to define what evil and God and good and righteous and all these terms are for ourselves. And when we do that, that's when it gets messy because now we can start calling good and evil whatever we want, whenever it's convenient. I mean, like, look, there are some seriously real moral issues in our country, in our world today. They're just absolutely disgusting. And you brought up the idea of it's actually kind of confirmed in the I think it's Romans 1 and 2, mm-hmm. um, where Paul talks about, and Romans is, a, for anybody who's listening, who wants to kind of dive into deeper theological subjects. Um, Romans is a great book if you want to really tackle some of these issues. Oh, yeah. So Paul really, that's a lot. Paul, there. from a theistic, legalistic, philosophical vantage point, I think presents the greatest argument for the existence and goodness of God, the fallen, morally valuable condition of man, and its inevitable and necessary reconciliation with Christ, who is both God and man. Mm -hmm. And in it, we have hope. And I think what's cool is it's literally encapsulated by the very person of Paul, who was Mm. ultra-Orthodox, pious, grounded in his moral obedience or adherence and becomes a persecutor and has a heart change, a supernatural encounter with God, the very entity he is trying to serve, basically corrects him and sends him on a mission to liberate other people from the same works-based salvation and ascension. I mean, it's deeply philosophical, theological treatise in a way that just connects with the human heart. For sure. So yeah, Romans is not a light read. Yeah. It's probably one of the most elegant yet complicated pieces of literature that's ever been assembled by a human being period. And I absolutely agree. I mean, Paul, like this is in Second Corinthians chapter one, where he talks about he has come to the conclusion that he knows nothing besides the cross, mm-hmm. the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and the importance mm-hmm. of it. And that is what he preaches. And he preaches that in the power of the spirit, not in wise words. And so that being said, it's just like, ultimately, when we look at evil, what we need to understand is what is it? What is the consequences of it? And then is there a way to be redeemed from it? Ooh. And those 
our most important questions that we need to talk about evil. We can talk about why do bad things happen to good people? Mm. Job, great example. And I think a lot of the times in scripture, it's not that ignorance is bliss, but so much is that God is trying to pave a way through the life of Jesus, how to be redeemed, but also what the standard of goodness looks like for us while we're here Mm. and how we can walk in that. Also, it has to bring out the evil of the things that we can do while we're here. And, good point. and this is, again, not to open another rabbit trail, but there's a reason why in the garden, what's the name of the tree that they were told not to eat? The tree of good and evil or good the, and bad. The, yeah, the knowledge of good and evil, right? The first sin that we decided to do in rebellion to God mm-hmm. was to decide for ourselves what was good and what was evil. That was the first thing we did. And so I think that that to me is a deeper problem and a more significant problem than some of the theological jumping through hoops that we could be doing. Well, let's just even look ontologically. So we're just staying with materialism here. Yeah. You know, like ontology is the <clears throat> ontology is the science of what is of the kinds and structures of objects. Right. It seeks the classification of explanation of entities or the object of inquiry and in how to best examine. Most of the time we're applying ontological inductive reasoning. We're basing our arguments on a conclusion that has to be supported based on the laws of nature. Yeah. And where did those come from? This is what it ultimately comes down to is that we have to be able to approach these issues logically, experientially. You you said it earlier, everyone has encountered evil of some kind. Yes. Like no one's innocent of this stuff. We've all either engaged in it, whether you're watching content that is exploiting other human beings, our culture, technology, all these things. It's all interconnected in a way that is just heightened all these different areas to where you can be purchasing something that has already passed through so many different spheres of trafficking to supporting companies or individuals that have exploited or profited off the exploitations. Like we're all susceptible because we're all born into sin. And so I think going back to original sin is, I think, key and going back into it. I think as you're talking, about it and like the connectedness of everything i mean since the beginning the first sin of adam and eve right it's just like mankind has been constantly directing itself on what is good and evil right since that moment and even more so now because we're so connected we can it's almost like an evil buffet this is what we do we almost culturally compare each other based on the levels of evil or i can compare my righteousness or my lack of righteousness to my neighbor the justice piece Mm -hmm. and therefore ascend the ladder of morality that i create so if i'm doing this apart from god then i'm establishing a standard of righteousness or immorality maybe i want to borrow from this worldview maybe i want to borrow from this standard the point is now we're stuck with, well, if everyone just thinks they're right in their own eyes, then whenever there's a real problem of evil, well, how do we address that? Mm -hmm. And what happens more often than not, we rely on the wise old gatekeepers of the culture. And what do they do? They have to appeal to a standard. I wanted to share an exciting announcement that I've been waiting to discuss for some time. For the past year or so, I've been working on a book project to help young people, especially men, navigate the challenges of fatherlessness, truth, and identity in the present age. I'm now excited to announce that it is officially published and available in print and audiobook format on Amazon. The title is called My Son Rising, Letters to a Fatherless Generation. For details, including special promotions and more, please check out the show notes or reach out directly through 4campus.org. Now, let's get back to our show. 
you're bringing up the point I was leading to. There is a Christian standpoint on this, and I'm going to share that. And then I'm also going to share a different understanding of like, what is the responsibility of people as it pertains to the future of where we are? Mm-hmm. And so let's let's take it to my life because I'm going to get a little personal mm-hmm. and we're going to start from there. And then we're going to get from personal to more of a broader scale. Personally, for me, he alluded to, I've had some things happen to me that have been, been terrible. And uh, you know what? I've been personally sexually abused. Um, I've been physically abused. I mean, I've just been abused. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad left when I was two months old. There have been things like have happened in my life that have rippled and affected to me at this point in my life. I'm 23 years old and I've got plenty of things that I can look to and say, man, I hate God for this. And I think that this is real for a lot of people. And, you know, one of the reasons why in the beginning I talked about Job is because Job was the example in scripture that we see of a person who went through similar things. It not only encourages me, but it points to Jesus, mm. you know, like Job, he complained, he had self-pity. He, you know, in a lot of ways, like I look at it, I'm like, man, he deserved to feel that way. I mean, there's like, you know, something builds up in all of us. It's like, man, we deserve to be angry. Sin is not something we're supposed to be happy about or not. Mm. We're not supposed to be okay with it either. And that sense of anger that we have towards evil is purposefully designed in us. We're not supposed to like it. We're supposed to hate it. Mm. But the question is, where do we direct that to? Do we direct it to our creator or do we direct it to sin itself? evil itself right now to come to the point of where i'm at now the way that i operate through it that help others is different than how i used to when i believe that i was lost and the bible says that you're a new creation if you're in christ jesus and so i believe wholeheartedly in that scripture like i don't believe i'm the same person i was before Mm -hmm. i put my faith and made jesus the lord of my life like i don't jesus is somebody that understands pain that i've gone through and that he is willing to be there for me and he's willing to guide me through the healing process i mean i a lot of people knew me when i was pre-jesus and post-jesus and like it's a different person Mm -hmm. it really is but i still struggle with the same things i do believe that my testimony has had more good than evil in my life And that's a weird statement to say, but it's very true. You've been given a weapon to use against evil and against sin, against the enemy. And that's the gospel. And that is the truth, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the hope that is in Christ. Jesus is described as light in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend. And we live in a dark time and live in a dark world. And he is light. And he has called us to be light as well. God's people to be light. And so for me, I believe it's showing people the way of Jesus. And the more people put their faith in Christ, the more we defeat evil and sin. Even just living out the relationship with God and the effect that has on the people around us, that is how we also defeat evil. We're sharing this very personal relationship with a God that still touches people at a heart level with power. You want to talk about just being in a work environment where you're dealing with technology. And you know, I work for a company that's based in another part of the world. And I find myself chatting with this young man fresh out of college. He's been doing the job for a little bit longer than me and i asked him like yeah tell me a little bit about your life like you know what do you and your friends do and he's like i don't have any friends Mm -hmm. and i just sit there and i'm just like well i'll be your friend you know what do you do for fun and it's just we kind of make this more complicated if we don't even notice the people next to us in your classes or just in your workplaces your own family members you're not actually living out the gospel you're just a soundboard for other people i mean there's a balance there is what i'm trying to say but just leaning back with you is what do you tell them 
that person that's just like, I keep hearing about Jesus, but I'm struggling with this mental health stuff. I just mm. desire to experience life. And every time I try to do well, bad things happen and look at all these problems in the world. Why can't Jesus fix it all? Or why do I need to put my faith in Christ? Yeah. If Jesus is God, then when we look at Christ, we see the ultimate model of perfection. And what did he do? He laid it all down. The reason that we follow him is because he demonstrated humility perfectly. He demonstrated honor and respect perfectly. He fought injustice with the truth of his word and he didn't execute violence. Yeah. If you can close it all together, why is it important to follow Christ? Like who is Christ and why is he worthy of our trust? Yeah, Christ is the God. I mean, he's God. He's the Holy One of Israel. I mean, the description of God, and honestly, I, I don't blame people for this because I, I was there too. And I sometimes go back to this idea of God, but like that he's far and that he's gone. Mm. We've been given some some answers and we just do it and hope it works out in the end. But Jesus is with us. Like he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't leave us to figure this out on our own. Anytime you're like, I do not feel like I'm doing good enough because your standard is set on Jesus, it's because you're not doing good enough because no one can. If we could do good enough, then Jesus wouldn't need to die. Mm. That's actually one of the most powerful descriptions of not only the gospel, but also just how to live today. So what is the importance of Christ? Why is this important to us? Because the way that things were before, before Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, we were unfit and unable to live to the standard of God. But the gospel itself is that God loved us and didn't want to leave us there, that Jesus did what he did. And he set a way. It literally is a way for us to follow God, to follow Jesus so that not only that we could get into heaven, which is amazing, but so that we can share this good news with everybody else that is also in a place that we were before. God did not create for us to be alone. Adam was alone in the garden and God said this was not correct. Mm -hmm. We need Eve to come because man shall not be alone. We were created for community. We were created to multiply, to be together. And God's people is the answer, is the way that God uses us to defeat evil. We are meant to be the light of the world, just like he he was the light of the world and he still is the light of the world but through us he shines and so you're talking about being friends with this college student and i think to myself when the people asked jesus what is the greatest commandment you know jesus could have gone down the 45 page list of things of like these are all important which they are but he said to love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself this fulfills it all the idea of sacrifice it's just becoming a taboo subject because it's all about looking out for yourself everything you look around you talks about you being number one and it's just like scripture says the opposite we're not number one we're not even number two we're number three if that god is one others are second and we're third right good. and this is good jesus himself said if you want to follow me if you want to be a disciple be a new creation is the first thing he says deny yourself pick up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. That is the words of Jesus on what it means to follow him and what it means to combat evil in today's age. Yeah. I think when you look at Christ, especially, I love the reference you made from scripture, because it seems like if I'm going to ask God a question, we talk about justice, we demand it from our leaders. We even appeal to God directly. Why is this happening? All this, mm. the scribe goes to Jesus to try to get him to come up with some new revelation. Yeah. And what Jesus does is he appeals back to the standard of truth that was evident from the very beginning. Yeah. And yet what's amazing 
it's come to fulfillment because the person that's reaffirming God's love at a heart level is incarnate, explaining that to people. Now that love is being passed to its creation mm. to be stewarded in the world as a manifestation of God's love. And the fact that a God who is both perfect, all creating, all knowing would self-limit to remind his creation that he's with them. That's the reason why I think Jesus Christ has the greatest set of credentials of Godhood, but also because of the power that has, not just from a supernatural perspective, but the effect that idea has. There's no other philosophy or religion that touches that because that's essentially what we're dealing with today is we have this pantheon of religious and ideological ethos that doesn't have any real grounding. It's circular and it falls apart the moment some of its principal leaders and philosophers run into basic philosophical and presuppositional issues. Like we had to call something good or evil. Now we have to have categories of how to define yeah, that. For sure. But um, I loved this debate that it was like a few years ago. I'll try to put a link in the show notes, but it was Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. You know, Jordan Peterson either always was a theist or I think he was definitely God-fearing in that regard. Jordan Peterson could never get over the fact that Sam Harris believed that truth could be a series of mountaintops. You descend and descend. So there's a level of fluidity to the experience right. because Jordan Peterson, the way he's designed, you know, being a philosopher and obviously you know, being well-studied and the totalitarian regimes of the last century and how they would use the very religious and philosophical and moral worldviews manipulate and enslave and murder mass amounts of people, right, for control. But the point is, is Jordan Peterson responds with, yeah, that doesn't make sense because you're going to run into the a priori rule, the ontological rule. We know there's these categories of truth that are self-evident because the very fact you're making a truth claim means that you have to assert there's objectivity in reality. Now we need a standard to compare it to. And I think this is the thread that he pulled to get to the place where he's at today. Mm. Is there any closing words or resources, maybe encouragement that you want to give to the, our listeners or the next generation, maybe your own children one day? Yeah. What do you really want to say? You know, we live in a complicated life. There are complexities and so much that goes on. And I encourage you dig in to the life of Jesus and the resurrection and why I'm specifically drawing to that. And this is, I guess, Everything that we talk about here, it balances on the idea that Jesus was real and who he says is who he is. He lived the life he did and he died on that cross brutally, mm -hmm. unjustly for our sins and that he rose on the third day to fulfill the mission of God. And that if you put your faith in him, that is going to bring you salvation. It's going to bring you redemption and it's going to lead you onto a new way of life. Wow. That is, it all balances on that. Mm -hmm. And no matter where you are in your journey, dive into that. Come on now. And something that God shared with me the other day was any questions of doubt that you have, if you truly are seeking, if you throw it at him, he can take it. Start with the resurrection. A great book a lot of people know in the Christian community, but not maybe everybody, but The Case for Christ. Uh, Lee Strobel is a great book and dives a lot about his personal story, where he went with uh, his relationship with Christ and how he's a firm atheist. And he initially went to disprove mm -hmm. the resurrection and he came to the conclusion that the evidence was utterly just 
too much for the resurrection. Uh, it was just way too much. And you can get into the historical aspect of it. You can get into the proof. You can get into, but ultimately, a lot of people don't realize that everybody has their faith in something. Mm-hmm. And scripture, the way Paul kind of talks about it, is like you're either a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to sin. And you're, but you're a slave to something. Mm-hmm. You're, something is your master. And so, what is mastering you right now? What is your faith in? Is your faith in atheism? Is your faith in Buddhism? Is your faith in, in yourself? It's your faith in God and recognize where that is. It all comes down to faith. Mm. Do you believe that Jesus said who he was and did what he did or do you not? That's the last thing I answer. So. We have a bonus round here. You didn't know about this. We talked about spiritual warfare in the past. We never really got to unpack it. So I'm going to give you four to five additional minutes to unpack spiritual warfare and some practicals you can help people through. <laughs> uh, hey, look, you laugh. But, I mean, no, what, I, what I don't do laugh at the, the, uh, the... So I laugh because you're like, all right, you got four <laughs> minutes to break down this... Uh, hey, man. Be ready in to season break this and out subject of season. down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, no pressure. No, but here's the like from a spiritual context. What got you through the battles of the mind? Mm. The Bible talks about there's spiritual realities. There's angels and demons. There's powers and principalities. I don't care where you're at in your faith journey or what you believe. Even the atheist skeptic, you can't deny there's some very, very strange and very dark things manifesting in our world. It's the person that's struggling with mental health, with suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. body dysmorphia. Is that just a product of the culture or is there something that's happening existentially or in a spiritual realm that is leading people yeah. to do those things or influencing people? What can we do practically? So yes, all the things that you said apply. I'm going to start with the spiritual aspect of it all. So there's a real reality of the spiritual behind the scenes. And it's interesting because the scripture actually describes the spirit being more real in the flesh, which is kind of hard for us to understand as we are all living in the flesh right now. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. First, come to the conclusion. If you're a believer and the spiritual stuff is icky to you, maybe because you had a traditional upbringing or whatever the case would be, or to even the atheists, like you said earlier, I hate to break it to everybody, but we're a part of it. We're at war. And we've been at war since the fall. I just want to tack on to that. Like the reason why we don't see this for people that don't even notice this stuff is going around. Satan is doing his job because of that. Like (laughs) if you don't even recognize that these things are happening, because what they manifest in is suicide and death. What they manifest in is mental health and depression and anxiety. Like the flesh itself is hostile to the spirit. Mm -hmm. But I guess, how do we talk the person off the ledge biblically? That's what I'm trying to get to is like, I don't want another student to take their life, even if they believe they're saved or they're a Christian, they're raising mm. it. Right, so I wanted to preface all of this to say from a personal standpoint, I was suicidal. I contemplated suicide. I was in a process to attempt suicide. That was actually my first encounters that I recognized of God. Mm. That's part of my personal testimony. And to that being said, there was a spiritual reality that was going on there. And like you said, I didn't recognize until I got saved. When I got saved, I experienced demons manifesting in front of me mm-hmm. early on in my faith. All I had was the basic knowledge that I had of scripture. Even with that, God intervened in the moment and he empowered me to stand up against the enemy. Yeah. And in that moment, I did. What the enemy wants to try to do is make you think that you are powerless. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest, if you want a great defense on how to deal with 
Satan and his the forces of evil, demons and stuff like that. Read Matthew 4. Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit after he was baptized by John the Baptist, where three times the devil came to him for three different things, attempted to attack him. In all three situations, Jesus stand firm in the truth and he retaliated with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Yeah, that's good. All three times. Jesus is the ultimate example in leadership of how we are supposed to operate against the enemy. What he decided to do was use the word of God to defend himself. Mm -hmm. Then that's how we should live. That being said, there is a reality. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Mm -hmm. Suicide is a real thing. It's a real temptation that a spiritual attack that the enemy pushes on us. And his attempt is to try and kill you. And we see that even in social media chats mm -hmm. where people are losing followers on Instagram where they can't access their profile and you hear about story every now and again of someone committing suicide, people ending up in the ER for a right. number of things. I mean, you see even people committing certain acts based on what they hear or what they've seen in YouTube, even people making irreversible damage to their bodies, right. realizing I was deceived by the very people that were supposed to be taking care of me, my family, the education systems, the mm -hmm. the culture. And you kind of, and, yeah. And to say all that, how do you deal with it? Ultimately, I would remind everybody, number one thing is to remember you're not powerless. Mm -hmm. If you are a follower of God, he who is with you is greater than he who is in the world. There's John Borbore, yeah, It's good. a fact. Nothing the enemy throws at you, God cannot defeat. Not a single thing. God has given you authority over the enemy. He has given you weapons. He's giving you defenses over the enemy. To build anything, you have to fight. And there's going to be rejection. There's going to be pushback. We see it today. It's very loud, louder than I think it's been before. And that's mainly because of social media and the internet. And so that being said, you're not powerless. You're not weak. And even in your weakness, God's strength is perfect. It's good. So receive the truth of scripture. Study it not for the sake of study. Study for the sake of battle mm. because this is your guide on how to deal with spiritual warfare. There are real cultural and other issues that tie into this. And we can go on a long subject. There's generational curses. That is a real thing, right? We covered that in a previous episode. Yeah, we've talked about these things on this show. Um, and this is episode 24. So, I mean, if we've had people that are still tuning in and listening to this, they know we've covered this stuff. I think we had some key scriptures too. I love that you covered Galatians 2.20 and 1 John 4.4, 4, uh, 2 Peter 1.3-4. There's a common theme here, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Here's the key. If you are born again, when we say save, when you've come to Christ, what we say in the faith is you come to the end of yourself, right? Mm. When you've come to Christ submitting to his lordship, not because he demands it, but because you look at him and you recognize that he is supreme, what we receive is the impartation of his spirit, which gives us now the power and authority that belongs to Christ. It's a gift. And so God dwells within us and therefore we become his sons. There's so much more we can unpack there because, you know, we're dealing with fatherlessness in the culture. We're dealing with people that are orphaned in their thinking. Right. A lot of people, they're disconnected from their homes. They go to college and they leave everything behind. And the, But I think what's common is that at a heart level, people are desiring connection. They're desiring something authentic and we need guidance. And the guidance that the culture is giving us isn't sufficient. Yep. It just doesn't have the power. The point is, is that unless you get the foundation right and that foundation 
foundation is trustworthy and reliable, you're going to keep on breaking down and rebuilding and you're never going to arrive at a conclusion because you're trying to get kingdom without Christ. You're trying to get reconciliation without mediation. You're trying to become like God. And what we're experiencing in the culture and the world at large is we're building the equivalent of the Tower of Babel yep. with the technology, projecting our consciousness into the cloud, getting there apart from God and becoming little gods. And the problem is, is that you'll never get there. And even if you think you've gotten there, God's still God. You still can't answer the fundamental questions of how we got here to begin with. Where did we come from? What are we doing here? How does it, you know, yeah. what do you want to say to the student before you leave? How can people follow you? What are some ways that people want to reach out to you? How can they get a hold of you? How about that? Uh, yeah, you're welcome to share the, my email. I don't use a lot of social media for good reasons. Mm -hmm. If you reach out through Instagram, I will respond. And so I'll give you that information afterwards. But my handle is dozier.jacob. I love to talk about anything. I'm a follower of Jesus. I try to live it practically. I'm still learning myself. I'm an apprentice of Christ. I like that. You know, and this is something that every day I'm learning. You know, ultimately, like what I said earlier about going back to my faith and who Jesus is and what he said and what he did. And that ultimately is the firm foundation I sit on. So, yeah. And then I told you earlier about the case for Christ. I think that was a great book to, to start with. It mm -hmm. is the resurrection. So, start there for believers. That book, just in general, that has been extremely helpful for me in the modern age is a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's by John Mark Comer. And it talks very in depth about scripture, biblically backed ideas of Sabbath and mm -hmm. of rest and why it's important and how it's not just something that is convenient for us, but something that we should do in accordance to the way that God has called us to live. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Those are probably the biggest things for me right now. And then the Bible. If you know, you just want to read the Bible, it's probably a good idea. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you know, anyway, so yeah. All right, Jacob. Well, thank you very much for your faithfulness and just for committing to doing this after uh, several nudges and attempts to get you on. I know you had a lot going on, so it, it means a lot. I know there's a lot of wisdom here. And you know, it's no surprise. Like you keep going back to the source and center of your salvation, which is in Christ. And you're not saying that because you were raising it. You've made the case, I think yourself, of why you believe believe you had a personal encounter with God. Mm -hmm. You've experienced him in his word. You've seen manifestations of his power through the laying of hands. You've made an intellectual, philosophical, biblical argumentation from the context of Job through your own life experience, the world culture that we live in in this day and age. I think you did a pretty amazing job summing it all up, not only being a Bible student, but just being you know a young man on a journey of growth and just pursuit of holiness. I think that's something that we can all aspire to model after and uh honored to have you on oh i appreciate you having me back thank you so much this is uh this was amazing this was life-giving beautiful this concludes another exciting episode of solomon's knot a production of fourcampus.org and its associated partners to learn more how you can connect to a local community either on your campus or remotely please check out our website at four that is the number four campus.org slash community. For resources and more, including answers to some of the leading questions, ranging from whether the Bible is reliable to LGBTQA and social justice issues, or a host of common answers to life's most fundamental problems. So, until next time, this is your host, Jason, signing off. Peace.